Let's pray. Father, we just put our gaze on you. Lord, I thank you for, for all the things that you've given us, Father. I thank you for this incredibly quirky but fantastic family, Lord, that we get to be in. Jesus, I thank you that you allow us to freely, from what you did, you allow us to freely come together to worship you, to be family, God. That without you on that cross, we, we, we can't call each other brothers and sisters. But in you, Lord, we become family. And Father, God, I just thank you for that. We love you and we honor you. And Jesus, I ask this morning that anything that I say that's not of you, Lord, may it fall away. But the things that you want to do in our hearts, may they catch fire. May they, may they plant in our hearts and grow. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, we have been going through a series in Ephesians. We've been going through pretty much line upon line um, um, in, in Ephesians. And I love this book. I've been going back and through it and, 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 and asking God to reveal more and more. You know, it seems like the more Paul writes, the more complex yet simple this book is that that he he's writing in such a such a, a large way to to get across something so simple and I, I feel like what what Paul starts explaining in the beginning of the book is who we should live for he's he's outlining who Christ is he's outlining the beauty of the gospel to remember he's writing to to a Gentile people he's writing to a people who wouldn't have known um, the, the the old way they wouldn't have known the Jewish way of God and he's writing to a people to explain to them firstly who it is we live for who it is who Jesus is he's explaining in in complex but at the same time simple terms the gospel and then he gets to a part in the letter which I think he, he kind of begins in, in Ephesians 4 which is where we're going to be this morning and he kind of turns to the explaining how to live the Christian life, the, the how do we do it, how do we achieve what it is God's asked us to achieve and you know it's, it's interesting when, when you look at the difference between um, work and, and, and grace, the difference between what God's asking us to do and, and, and just sitting on our hands and being go to heaven Christians. And I think that in God's, in God's beauty, and I didn't know why I was doing this, I felt to preach on James and really just wrestle with what James is doing. But Paul carries the same. He, he and James's Gospels are not, they're not um, uh, at, at loggerheads with each other. I don't know another way to say that. They're not, they're not at odds with each other, right? They're not pulling in different directions. They're pulling in the same direction. James and, and Paul are riding in the same direction. They're just using different gifts. I'm going to get to the gifts later and explain how those gifts operate because you guys are going to start to see some different gifts starting from next week, which is exciting. But, but God, God is ordaining this incredible plan, this undertone that's always going through the Scriptures, always leading us back to Him. And, and, and when we first started leading this church, I asked God, what, what is it you want us to do? And, and the simplicity which I'm finding out is incredibly simple and not at the same time, is just point people to me. Just show people me again. And you know, it's hard in, in the Western contemporary church for us to, to do that sometimes because there's so much noise. There's so much all the time that's going on. There's so much what's right and what's not right. And at the end of the day, sometimes I go home and I say, God, I don't know what to do in this. I don't know anymore. But the simplicity of the gospel is just keep your eyes on and I think what Paul does in this letter is he tries to bring the people that when you get lost and confused, there's so many rules. 
He saved the Gentiles. There's so many Jewish rules and regulations, but the simplicity is just come to me and I'll show you where to go. Just come to me and I'll show you where to go. Going from, starting from Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3 to start with. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, again, he uses the language of being a prisoner for God, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you are on Facebook in today's day and age, if you have a Facebook account and you regularly look at the Facebook account, before you go to post on your Facebook wall, read this verse. Put this little verse on like a note on your phone and every moment before you go to plant your slam, you're going to change the world on your Facebook post. Just read this. Just read this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is the kicker. This is what you need to read before you send your Facebook post. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is telling the Ephesians that when you operate in my kingdom, you operate in a manner that's eager to keep peace, eager to operate in a place of peace. We live in an age in, in today's world where we are so eager to throw away peace that I, I, I read Mark's Facebook post who says, I like, I like green cars and I get enraged, enraged that I have to tell him how good red cars are. And then we get in this argument about a green car or a red car and I can't see past my own insecurity that I, I just can't stand Mark. So then we come into church on Sunday and I see the guy, oh, I shan't not be talking to him. I shan't be talking to Mark. Why? Because he likes green cars and he will not accept red cars. That's the world we live in today. Now, look, I understand that we deal with things that aren't quite fickle, but Paul is asking us to operate always in the bond of peace with my brother. That regardless of whether he has a green car or a red car, my job is to operate in peace because that's the kingdom of love. So what, and it, it pains me, and that's why I'm, I, I will not engage on Facebook, because it pains me to see friends who have been friends for years separate themselves operate outside the bond of peace. You know what the enemy is doing? He is laughing at the situation. When we get into, a, when we get into an argument about theology and we break relationship over that discussion of theology, the enemy is laughing at us. We are losing. We are losing. Because Paul is asking, God is asking, the kingdom of God requires peace and a bond of peace. You know, Jesus, Jesus is referenced as the Prince of Peace. So I want to I, I want to I, I explain something that can be really challenging. But if there's no peace in an area of your life, guess what? The Prince of Peace is no longer in that area of your life. If you are in angst and there is no peace, then you've got to wonder, God, where are you in this? If you are always in anxiety and always in angst in your financial position, you've got to start to wonder, God, where are you? 
in my finances? Have I been stepping where you've been asking me? Because if you're the Prince of Peace and you enter the room, then peace fills that room. Right? How can we stand and say, Jesus is here, yet my heart is, is aching? Man, the peace of God is here, yet my heart is aching. The presence of God is in my life, yet I hate my brother. How? How can love and hatred sit simultaneously together, partner, when God is saying that there's a bond of peace that I'm to relinquish, there's a bond of peace that I'm to walk towards? When God says, go forth and forgive your brother, it's because that unforgiveness is poison in your heart. And it's stopping the freedom and the flow of the kingdom of God. So we have to operate in a place where we say, God, all that you are, everything that you've given to me, I want to operate in this place of peace. So Mark, I don't care if you like green cars or red cars, bro. I don't have to talk about cars. Can I hang out with you? Can I be with you? Oh, you like green wheels on your green car. I don't, but I still want to be with you. That this, the relationship, is bigger than the promise. Paul is saying that in love, we must seek peace, in humility and gentleness. Do you know what humility means? We all have a good understanding of a dictionary of it, but what it means is, Mark, you're right. I'm happy to say I'm wrong so that we can remain peaceful. That's humility. I lay myself down. No, but I am right. But I am right. He's the one who's in the wrong. That's pride. Paul is saying that you want to enter into the bond of peace. You want to enter in and operate from my kingdom, my kingdom of love. It's going to come with humility. You're going to have to lay down that red car. You're going to have to lay down that desire of my way is better. I've been in conversations with people, and this is not to toot my own horn. I was blown away at what God was revealing to me, where I fundamentally disagreed with 95% of what they said and the way they lived their life. And in me, I wanted to just show them that they were wrong. But I felt God say, just listen. So I listened. I listened and I listened and I listened. And in the end, the person broke down. They said, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? I got to the, they got to the place where they, had, they were done telling me how right they were because they knew in their heart. And they said, will you give me a moment? Will you show me? See, if I had gone in there with my pious pride and said, I know, the, I know the right way and tried to show them wrong, instantly I closed the door that God opened. But with humility, chasing the bond of peace, relationship with you, and then we'll find the answer together. That will win 100 times. Over. I've just got to show you wrong. As Christians, often what we want to do is we want to get the sinner and tell them that they're a sinner. I've got to tell you you're living the wrong life. Hey, guess what? When they go to bed at night, they probably know. They probably realize this is not helping me. Most, most addicts know that their, addict is, that their addiction is killing them. They just don't know how to fix it. They don't need to be told they're living in sin. They know that. So instead, fight for the bond of peace. Fight for love. Fight to get at least be in their life. I was having a conversation with a friend and he was telling me a story about a friend that, of, of his that um, had walked away from God. And, and he was doing something. Well, his explanation was that he walked away from God, but they were doing something that was sinful. And this guy said, I cannot talk to him anymore because he's doing this sinful thing. And I said, but what if you're the only voice in that person's life that can actually bring the change that you think they need? You've just cut yourself off. I will not be meeting with them anymore. But the only person that can actually bring love in peace is you. 
But because of your pride, they've got to fulfill my rules. You, you fail to let go and understand why it is that they're doing what they're doing. We cannot keep cutting people like we see the world doing. You do something I don't like, Jez, you're out. We have to operate, like Paul was saying in opening this letter, in, in, in the bond of peace, with patience and gentleness, eager to maintain friendship. Because in that relationship, in that reality, I can walk with them and hear their heart and find out where it is they're going. He says in this opening line, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When I, when I was a kid, I wasn't going to tell this story because it makes me look like a goose, but I'll tell it anyway. When I was a kid, I got given a, um, a full Orlando Magic basketball team kit. I had the blue jersey, I had the blue pants, and I even had the blue basketball. It all matched, all blue. It was the bee's knees. And I was very pumped. I don't even remember who got it. Did you, I did you get any of it for me? No, I don't know. I don't know who got it for me, but I had a full... Orlando Magic kit, like I was playing, I could have ran on the court in the NBA, that's how I looked. And I remember I went down to play basketball with some friends, and I copped it, like absolutely copped it. The jokes, I had a Howard jersey, so everyone was calling me Howard, and I copped it, right? Never felt more like a goose in all my life, I just wanted to go home. But I got schooled as well, because I wasn't a great player, and I'm better now, just for the record. I wasn't a great player, but I had all the jersey on. I had the kit, right? I could have ran straight on the NBA. I was the guy. But then when I got out on the court, guess what? Who I was wasn't matching the, the, the jersey that I was wearing. I wasn't, I wasn't Howard at all. But I had the gear, right? Char and I have played pickup games, and it's funny when you see the guys come in with the jerseys and they've got their favorite player, and then they play basketball rubbish. Because once I put the jersey on, that doesn't make me a part of the NBA. Just because I, I go down and I buy a LeBron James Lakers jersey, but I buy a LeBron James Lakers jersey, doesn't make me a basketball player. And I can wear it as proud as punch. I can wear it onto that, onto that basketball court. But if I don't know how to play, I'm not a basketball player. Paul is saying, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been given. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean that you look like Christ. And we have to wrestle with this. We have to understand just because I've put on that little on that little Facebook description mark, Christian, that word Christian is mean follower of Christ. I follow the ways and the lifestyle of Christ. We have to begin to understand, but what does that really mean for me? Because unlike that Lakers jersey, I can't just take it off and put it on the shelf and put it on when I feel like I've got to put it on. I can't just put on my Christian jersey when I come to church on a Sunday morning. I can't just put on my Christian jersey when, my, when I get fired and I need to get on my knees and pray. But when we wear that thing, we're supposed to look and operate and move like that all the time. And this is not a works thing. This is God, Paul, saying, walk in the manner in which you've been given. You've been called a priest. You've been called a king. You've been called a son. You've been pulled out of the mess. Operate and walk and work in that manner of which you've been given because the calling is so much bigger than you can understand. But you've got to do more than just put the jersey on. You've got to do more than just say, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I tell you what, there are so many atheists in the world. There are so many people who go, I've seen what your Christian looks like and no thank you. Why? Why is that? We, we shouldn't be leaving a funny taste in people's mouths. 
We should be leaving a sweet aroma when we leave a room. There should be something about that guy, something about that aroma of Jesus that they carry. There's a perfume they wear on the skin. There's something about Sean, there's something about that guy that when he leaves, I, I, I feel happy, I feel joyed, I feel like there's something there because he carries with him the manner in which he's been called. He carries with him the reality of following Christ. When you truly follow Christ, when you really give yourself to Him, you don't have to try and do this. It just flows from you naturally. I don't have to try to play the drums anymore because it just comes from me naturally. Yes, I, I, I can spend a lot of time in practice and I can, I can get better, but now I just there's, there's something in me that understands. Any muse or anyone who, who has, a, has something like that, you, it, it's, just, you, it's an understanding you know. Right? When you see a keyboard, I just know what to do on it. When I see the drums, I just know. I don't have to think about it. That's the way Paul is saying, just live from who I've made you to be. But you've got to, you've got to have that knowing. You've got to spend that time in him. To operate in the unity of the Spirit. Galatians 4, 6 says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. When I, if I degrade Jeremy, right, if I pull him apart, he has the same spirit of God in him that I have in me. He has the same spirit of God in him that rose Jesus from the dead. That when I pull apart him, I'm not just pulling apart Jeremy. I'm pulling apart a son of the Most High. I'm attacking and ripping apart God in him. I watch a lot of um, people talking about ministries and the way that they, that I, I'm trying to get the theological understanding. And some guys I just have to stop listening to because they spend so much time tearing apart the person. That they forget what they've actually taught and, and to, to evaluate the teaching. But my fear for that is that's a son of God. You just calling that guy, that, that's the son of the Most High. He can't be touched. And you've just operated in a way where you've said, this is who he is. This is what I think Jeremy is. He's a terrible person. He's a terrible this. He's a terrible that. Sorry, that's buzzing on my hand and annoying me. We have to understand that the, the Spirit of God is in us. The Spirit of God that, that rose Jesus back from the dead is inside of us. So when I treat myself poorly, when I treat Jeremy poorly, I'm treating the Spirit of God in him like that. That's the way they understood. That's the way the ancient Jews understood the writing. That's the way Paul, when he says, you've become a son, you were an orphan, now you're a son. The living God, creator Yahweh, is inside of you. And flows out from you. So I treat you with respect. I treat you with honor. I treat you the way I would treat God. Why? Because he is inside of you. So you become my brother. It doesn't mean we can't wrestle. It doesn't mean we can't speak through things. But I honor him and I walk with him in a way. We have to treat those around us like we would want others to treat us. Like we would want God to treat us if he saw us. little side note for free, which... I can't remember who said it, but if, if you want friends, be a friendly person. If you want people to be nice to you, be a nice person. 
Start operating in what you want to see in your life. Stop waiting for those around you to do it. If you don't have many friends and you don't know why, start taking a look at your life. And go, well, maybe I could be friendly. Maybe I'll be friendlier. Right? Start operating in honoring that person across from you, whether you like them or not. And watch what starts to happen in your life. Because you start operating from the sweet aroma of Christ rather than some worldly position of, I need to be looked after or I need to be cared for. We have to walk towards the, the, the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is not unity in the flesh that are different. Unity in the flesh is, is Mark and I liking the same color car, to go back to my original picture. Unity in the flesh is Mark and I liking the same color. He likes red, I like green, or the other way around. He likes green, I like red. That's me pushing for unity in the flesh, right? We look the same. Our churches look the same. Our worship looks the same. Our prayer looks the same. That's unity in the flesh. Unity in the spirit is this. God, what do you want for us as a people? Because he's asking all of us the same thing. When we operate in unity of the spirit, we start operating in where God is leading us. We start operating in who he's asked us to be. So the church on the Gold Coast, in order to get into unity in the Spirit, it doesn't matter what our church buildings look like. It doesn't matter the way we pray. It doesn't matter the way the guy preaches. It doesn't matter the sound of the worship. What matters is we ask God, where are you sending us as a people? Where are you sending us as a city? And then we operate in that direction. That's unity in the Spirit. But what we keep pushing for is unity in the flesh for us to look the same. So your friend who's a Baptist, you don't need to convert him to... Pentecostalism or, or charismatasticism. <laughs> you don't need to convert him. Why? Because ask him, what's God saying to you? Where do you feel we're going? I feel we're going here, here and here. That's what I feel. We're in union in the spirit. Let's go there together. You do it over there, I'll do it over here and we'll go towards the same picture. That's unity in the spirit. I don't have to try and bring, man, you should come and hang out here because we do stuff differently. No, I understand we do stuff a little funny but I'm not trying to look like somebody else because I'm saying, God, what are you telling us to do? That's the unity I want to get on board with. That's the direction. Now, if the guy down the road does it on a Friday evening and he does it with flags and whistles, awesome. I may not be there, but awesome. And you get other people with flags, but I love that. Fantastic. Where are you going? I'm going here. So are we. So are we. So we'll, we'll meet you there. How can we help you get there and how can you help us? That's unity of the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. He continues on in, 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 in uh, verse 4. He says this. That yell at the end, like, got my throat going weird. Verse 4, he says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your core, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Just to clarify, that word baptism means submersion. He's not talking about, people have used this verse to say, see, there's not many baptisms. Well, the word just means submersion. He's meaning one submersion. And who do we get submerged into? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? One submersion into Him. He's not talking about the physical water. He's not talking about the baptism of fire. He's talking about a submersion in Him. We only get submerged into one God, not multiple, one, right? That's what Paul's saying. But he's saying there's one body. 
which we all become a part of. There's one Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, which we all have operating in us and through us. You are called to one hope, which is Christ, Jesus. And it belongs to your call. We have a hope in Christ to walk out our call. Which call? One call. One Lord, one faith, one submersion, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What Paul is reiterating again is Jews, Gentiles, males, females, black, white, Pentecostals, Baptists. You all come in to the same place. You all come in to one glory. You all come into God. Stop fighting against one another and operate from this place. He's your brother in Christ because in him we are found. He's saying all of us operate from one position in God. It's not multiple positions. During the, the, the riots in America, someone said to me, have you made a statement in your church as to, to where your church stands on, on racism? And I thought this was the most ridiculous question to be asked ever because I thought, why do I need to make a statement about where my church stands on racism? Paul is adamantly clear that we come into Christ regardless of who we are. There is no racism in God because he's saying in me we become spirit. In me we are spirits operating as the way we've been created. So God doesn't look down at you and see a black man or a white man or an Asian man or a Mexican because he sees a spirit in you because we've all been called into one place just as the way he doesn't see now Jew nor Gentile he sees my sons and daughters kings and priests heirs unto who I am we come into him to operate as one body but you know what also he doesn't see he doesn't see our community he doesn't see liberty he doesn't see oasis or hillsong he sees the people of God in a nation in a region but the reason that we, we, we need those things, the reason that there are different houses is because I can't uphold overlooking the entire church. Either can the guy down the road or the guy down the road. God splits us into to, to tribes or to people to operate in who he is. But we all are one people, the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. That's who he's asked us to be. I'll speak a little bit about gifts in a minute. And I hope to get there. I might need 10 or 15 minutes, but we'll get there. But this is, the, this is the thing that's challenged me over the last little while as a church. You know, we've asked which church, what church, that church, this church. But the reality that God gave us in the garden, the, the call that he gave us, which Jesus reiterates, is really this simple. Make disciples, expand the kingdom, love God, love others. Make disciples, expand the kingdom, love God, love others. That's what Adam and Eve were given in the garden. Work the land, expand the borders of the land, operate in my kingdom. Then Jesus reiterates, he says, there's no more commandment higher than these. Love the Lord your God, love others. Go into all the world, make disciples. The simplicity of the gospel, for the, the job, the call that we are to do is really that simple. Make disciples, expand the kingdom, love God, love others. So when you're sitting at home going, God, what's my calling? What's my calling? What are you giving me to do? I can tell every single one of you what your calling in God is this morning. You didn't know you were going to get a personal, what's my calling in God this morning? I'm going to give it to you. Expand the kingdom. Make disciples. Love God. Love others. That's your calling. 
That's what you're here to do. That's what God's asked you to continue to do. It's really that simple. Now, yes, you may have different tools in your tool bag to do it than I will. You may have a different way to do it than I will. But at the end of the day, the unity in the spirit, the unity that God's asking to operate in is, Jez, what are you doing today? Bro, I'm making disciples. I'm expanding the kingdom. I'm loving God. I'm loving others. So am I. So am I. We're on the same path. How do I help you do it? Well, it'd be cool if we did this. Yeah, I agree. Let's do that. The union of the Spirit is a simple call that God's put in our heart. It's a simple call that God's asked me to do. So take your job, for instance. I don't understand. God, I, I want to live for you. I want to do ministry full time. I want to do ministry full time. Awesome. Then do ministry full time. What's ministry? Make disciples. Expand the kingdom. Love God. Love others. So do that in your workplace. Yeah, but I work for myself. Awesome. Do you meet with clients? Yeah, cool. Spend half an hour before you, you, the client comes in praying for them. Expanding the kingdom, making disciples, loving God, loving others. Now you're a full-time minister. Congratulations. You get paid better than a minister though. See, what we've done is we've created this little thing where, well, it's got to look the way it's always looked. So I'm going to honor Ben because he, he's dedicated his life to ministry. So should you. So should you. Yes, you go to work five days a week, but you go to work with the courage to say, God, I'm going to make disciples, to expand the kingdom, to love God and to love others. I'm going with this call in my heart that you gave us in the garden that you gave us in the beginning when we came back into you, we come back in. But Ben, I can't do that because, because I've, I'm, I, I barely leave the house and I'm, I'm, I'm older. And you make disciples, you expand the kingdom, you love God, you love others, and you do it different the way I do it. You might only do it one meeting a week. You might only do it with your neighbor. You might only do it with the person that comes to clean your house. But you are always constantly asking God, how do I expand your kingdom? How do I make disciples? How do I love you? And how do I love those around me? That's what God's asked us to do. That's the kingdom expanding out into all. You are a full-time minister in God. Operate in that call that he has called you to. Minister in that call that he has called you to. Paul goes on to this, Ephesians 4, 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of, the, of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended above for all. Jesus did the heavy lifting. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He went into the depths. He took the keys and he brought the captives. He did what we couldn't do so that we don't have to. But he also did this in, in going and, and taking the keys and taking the, the, the things from the captives. He allowed us to operate in a game that's been rigged in our favor. Jesus is the victor, victory, winning, winner, hero. We now get to operate in that victory. But it's still hard. Yes, it'll still be hard. And there's still stuff to do. Yes, there's still stuff to do. Because there's a, a closing down at the end of the army. The way I, I like to explain this is there's a scene in the Lord of the Rings on the, in, the, in the final film, the third film, where um, all the... the um, 
Aragorn goes to get the helpers. He goes to get the, the ghosts, essentially. And he brings them back in, right? And, and once they get off the boat, everyone who's fighting in the... <laughs> I tried to not go into a 40-minute explanation of Lord of the Rings. Just tried to skim up so we all understood. But he, he gets off the boat, right? And he has all these soldiers. I don't know if you've seen it, but the, the war's looking really bleak. They're going to lose. And one of the kings goes to get more men. And when he gets off the boat, they win. It's everyone in there knows we've won this. But there's still a time where they have to take out all the other men that are still remaining. So although they know they've won, there's still like a clean-up to go. There's still fighting to go. We are still in a war. We are still in a battle. But it's like the clean-up, see? It's like the end that's being cleaned. It's the end that's being wrapped up, that's being finalized. But we've been tasked with doing that job. So God is the victor. He is the king. He has won. He's beaten death. And now he's charged us with the clean-up time to go around and to bring more in to what it is, the victory that he's won. That's what we've been asked to do. That's why we have to expand the kingdom. That's why we make disciples. That's why we love, continue to love him. We continue to love those around us because he did what we couldn't. But he gets to Ephesians 4, chapter 11, 13, and he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith or the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturehood, to manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Yes or no answer. Has the church in the world attained to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, have we matured to manhood and have we matured to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? A little louder? No, we haven't. Therefore, comma, the gifts that he prefaced that line still exist. So until we get to that fullness, until we get to the stature, until we understand and we operate in a place that looks like Jesus, the gifts that were outlined are still in play. Because we still need them. Why? Because we haven't been raised and obtained to the fullness stature of Christ. So then we can't just choose the gifts, the pastor and the teacher, because those ones make us feel comfortable and go, these are the only two that still operate. No, it says that all five still operate for the building up of the body to mature us to the place of Christ. So all five of these gifts operate. But what we've done in, in the contemporary church, and I want to wrestle something now, which may be a little bit challenging, but I, I want you to take some time on it to think through it. What we've done in the, in the contemporary Western church is that we took these five gifts, especially in, in the Pentecostal charismatic circles, and we made them almost a God unto themselves. We made this pursuit of a gift. We made this pursuit of who am I? What am I? And then we sit around in circles and we say, well, well which one is Sean? Let's pick one for Sean. And you know, I, I, I've, I've always struggled with this thought because I, I've always thought to myself, but God uses these gifts to build the body, yet we've got to choose just one in which I then have to operate with for the rest of my life, and I've got to try and fit within those boundaries. Now, we didn't always say it like that, but that's what tended to happen. So Sven comes in, he gets saved, and straight away I, start, I pick one for him. He's an evangelist. The guy's three weeks in. How, we're just trying to get him to understand how to love Christ. I'm just trying to understand how to love Christ. Jez comes in, he's two weeks saved. He's a pastor. What? He, he doesn't even 
fully know who God is yet and you're assigning him one of the fivefold ascension gifts which we still struggle to understand how they operate. No, let's just teach him how to love Jesus, number one. The gifts will come. But you see, what we've done is we've, we've pigeonholed people to a position without fully understanding what the gift means or how it operates. Are there these gifts operating in the church? Absolutely there are. I know of men and women who operate in the fivefold function, the ascension gift, uh, amazingly. Bless you. I have no question that Mike, who, who passed away, was, a, was a, a gifted apostle. He was called in that function. He operated in that function. But you know who struggled to call Mike an apostle? Mike. Not because he was running from it, but because he knew the weight that it carried. He actually carried it with a sense of humility to say, oh, I don't want to take that on. I'll keep being who I am, God, and I'll do everything you tell me to do. And people called him that, but he, and, and I have heard him utter it from time to time. But you see, there's this desire we have. Which gift am I? Right now, that doesn't matter. What matters is this. Expand the kingdom. Make disciples. Love God and love those around you. Will you operate in a gift? Yeah, you will, because naturally it's already inside you. The gift's already been given. But stop trying to look at a 60-page questionnaire to find out which gift you are. Just start operating in the things God's already given you with this in mind. Expand the kingdom. Make disciples. Love God. Love others. Because we haven't really designed. Let me challenge one that I've challenged before, but... Because I lead a church in, in the understanding, I become a pastor. So I'm a pastor. So now, because everybody labels me a pastor, I have to operate within one of the five gifts. Now, I only get the realm to operate within that. Now, I can stretch outside it, but I'll never ever break the tag pastor. So what tends to happen is if I don't meet the boundary lines of a pastor, he go, he's not a very good pastor. <laughs> so if I don't operate the way the church sees this one word pastor, I become not a very good pastor. So I start thinking this. Well, Dave leads a group and he leads quite successfully. He doesn't have to be a pastor. He gets to be Dave. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close the church and I'm going to go start a ministry. Why? Because in the ministry, you won't call me a pastor and I'll get the freedom to act in the gift that I really feel is inside me. So what we do now is we have all these offshoots of guys going, I can't be a pastor. I'm not a pastor. But a pastor doesn't get called to lead a church. When we see Paul explain the word pastor, he uses this word. The word pastor in this Ephesians 4 is the word poimen. And it means the shepherd. It's the word poimen, and it means the shepherd. Now a shepherd, in, in ancient understanding, takes a group of sheep, they lead them to an open field, and they go and they rest under a tree while the field, while the, while the, the sheep do their business in the field. Now, if a sheep gets out of line, that shepherd takes this staff, and they walk over there, and they give it a bit of a get back in line. If a wolf comes up, the shepherd gets up and he goes to protect the sheep, right? Then he goes back down and he sits back under the tree. While he's sitting under the tree, guess what's happening? The sheep are being fed. So now does the shepherd get up and feed the sheep? No. The grass feeds the sheep. 
So now all of a sudden, if I'm not, if, if I'm just operating the shepherd, then no one is feeding the sheep. So what then happens is, is the, the sheep then now need to go to another land. So the shepherd is spending time with God saying, God, where are you leading this? Send me your voice to lead the people. Someone comes along, there's a, there's a clear open land on the way. The shepherd goes, awesome, we're going to move the sheep to the clear open land. So now I've had an apostle come in and, and express where the sheep should go. See, what we've done is we've made the, the, the leader of the church, the elder, the lead elder of the church, have to fit into a gap that was never given for that person to operate in. How do we know that? Because when Paul explains to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications of an elder or an overseer or a bishop, when he uses the word shepherd, he doesn't use the same word that he uses in Ephesians 4. Why? Because he doesn't mean that. He uses a different word. He uses the word episkopos. That an elder is to be an episcop. I knew I was going to fluff that. I practiced it like 30 times too. <laughs> practiced it like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> it's spelt so funny. But the word there means to be a superintendent, to inspect, to look out, to relieve. So the leader of a church, i.e. myself and Jess, as the lead elders in this house, our job is to superintend the people, to lead, to guide, to take somewhere. That's the job of an elder. To oversee. Now that overseeing can include a range of different things. But the fact that myself or Jess have to be a pastor is a broken old understanding. We have to be an overseer. So there is a rule, set of rules and functions that we have to follow. You can read them in 2 Timothy 1-3. to Our house has to be orderly, not given to much wine, approachable. Something, something, something. Go read them and then I'll... Take a phone call. <laughs> Being a little bit cheeky, a little bit. But our job is to oversee the people, to oversee, right? To oversee this house as to where it's going. Now, could, can we operate in the gift of a pastor? Absolutely. Just as much as I have to operate in the gift of a teacher and a, an apostle and a prophet and an evangelist. Right, so, so we want the pastor to be there at my beck and call, but then we also want him to be out on the streets preaching and bringing in people. But then where's the vision? How come you haven't cast any vision? You haven't prophesied lately. Where's the prophecies to where we're going? No wonder in the Western contemporary church we see leader after leader after leader after leader falling over, burning out, running away, throwing their toys out of the car because they're operating in roles they were never given to operate in. You were called to be an overseer. My role is that Jess and I are called to be overseers. Now, a gift will develop in us, but it doesn't make me a pastor. So I've said to you laughingly at times, please don't call me a pastor. Because I don't know if I can fulfill that role. Now people will go, yeah, but you do pastor me. Great. I operate in the gift of a pastor. I'm glad that God leads me that way. But I can't be that for everybody. I can't operate in that. Now, if that's the gift God's putting inside me, sure, I operate in that. But we don't see people being called teacher. We don't see people being called prophet. Well, we do, but I'm talking about in terms of church leaders. Or apostle. Why is this important? This is important because Paul is explaining to the people there were gifts Gifts given to build up the body, to raise us up into maturity. But don't overstretch the way the gift's been given. Don't overstretch it to something that it's not. The gift has been given in order for the people to flourish, not for me. God doesn't give me a gift for my sake. He gives me a gift for your sake. 
But God doesn't give Sean a gift for Sean's sake. He gives it for Tim's sake. And for those people around him. The gift is not for me. The gift is for those around to build up, to equip, to bring into maturity. It would be like a builder going to build a house and carrying a bag of tools. Right? Then sitting it down, using a hammer and smacking a hammer and building a nice, the first beam and then stepping back and go, guys, come look how awesome this hammer is. Look at this awesome hammer. No, I don't want to look at the hammer. I want to see what you built with it. I'm not here to look at the tool. I want to see what you've done with that in, in the life, in, in the kingdom of God. That's what the gift is to do, is to help us build the kingdom. So we don't worship the gift. We don't worship the person who carries the gift. We worship the God and the creator, and we are honored in what's being built. That's how we're supposed to operate in the church. My wife works five days a week, and she works hard in her role. She's in the marketplace. And do you know what she's doing in the marketplace? Expanding the kingdom, making disciples, loving God and loving others. But then she also comes in his house and she gives all that she has for the house. To expect something of her that's not being given to her, to expect her to operate in a gift she's never been given is not okay. To expect me to operate in a gift I've not been given and I'm not, and I'm not operating it is not okay. But this is an old system and an old model and this is what Paul is breaking down. He's saying we have to start operating in the core we've been given, both in the world and in the house. That's what Paul is saying in this. Unity in the spirit, we're all going the same place and we're all doing our part to get us there. We're all doing our part, playing our role. But that does mean that my wife and myself have to operate in, the, in, in what's being called as an overseer. Because we have taken that role to step in as an elder, as a bishop, as an overseer. And we have to fulfill what's been asked of us in that realm. But to put a gift on somebody they don't carry, and I'm not, I'm not saying that anyone's doing this, I'm saying we need to get this right. Why? Because church after church after church is hurting with leaders who don't know how to operate in a the gift they're never asked to. My goal and my dream for this house is that, is that God is going to send an incredibly gifted pastor. And I'm going to go like this. Take that. Good, sir. Because it fills you up. Does that mean I don't like pastoring? No. But it's, it's challenging for me. It's tiring. You know when you're good at something and when you know you're supposed to do something, it's easy. You swing the hammer, you, you work at it, you work at it. Sometimes it's tiring. Does that mean God's given me a gift? Yes, I can operate in that realm. I, I can draw on that gift that God's put before me, absolutely. But there's an understanding of it may not be where it is that I'm supposed to. Same as an evangelist. Do we all have to evangelize? Yes, we do. We all have to go into the globe and make, and, and, and make disciples. But there's going to be a guy that every night he wants to go to the streets. Every night I want to be in the streets. I want, to just, I want to love people, man. I want to just get them saved. I love that guy. I will pat him on the back and I will be there for him when he needs me. But that's not my gift. Does that mean that I shouldn't evangelize while I'm in the streets? No. I shouldn't evangelize? No. But it's not my primary gift. Does that make sense? Is it, We're understanding what, what I'm saying here. No one's upset. No? Fantastic. One day someone's going to go, I'm upset. And I'm not going to know what to do. But I'm excited for that day. And I am excited for that day. What time have we got? 11.08. Okay. 
finish. He finishes with this, Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. He finishes and he says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The very reason God has given us gifts is to what? Grow up. It's for us to grow up. God is trying, not trying, he's achieving, but I think he, I think if we were to give ourselves the church in bigger ways, it would be a quicker, more um, effective way. But God is asking us to grow up into him to stop being like children, to stop being little children, suckling on the milk that's being left behind. These gifts are to bring you into maturity. The gifts are to bring you into maturity. That's what God is doing in this. The very reason the gifts, the Ephesians 4, pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist. Did I miss one? Maybe. Prophet, I missed one. Sorry, prophets. Um, the very reason he's given these gifts is for us to grow up into him. It's, to, it's not to go and, and receive. I want to go and receive of the gift. I want to be filled by the person that carries the gift. No, the gift is to challenge you into growth. The gift is to pull you into more. What, what the church is supposed to be doing is sharpening each other. Have you ever sharpened a knife before? You take the blunt knife and you rub it violently against a stone. Then you turn it over and you do it again. And you do it about 70 times to sharpen the knife. The sharpening is not a pleasant, exciting time. It's a growing, uncomfortable, stretching time. That God is saying, the gifts that I've given you is not to make me feel good, but it's to sharpen me. Can it make me feel good? Yes, absolutely it can. But it's to sharpen you and to stretch you into growth so that we're not being tossed backwards and forwards. We're not not sure where to go. I don't know who I am. I don't know where this is. It's a pulling up and a growing. We have too many Christians who have sat in church for too long and stayed stagnant the whole time. They've looked the same for 30 years. And God is saying, grow up. Grow up. I've put this before you. Grow up. I've given you these gifts. Grow up. I've got something for you to do. Grow up. Come, come and, and step in, no longer as children, but as warriors to do what I've asked you to do. Stop operating in the same way you've been operating for so many years. Stop looking for the same thing you've been looking for so many years. Stop trying to find it here. Look for me and grow up in what I've given you. I've been to countless amounts of... Um, just, I just lost all my words. I have been to countless amounts of um, conferences and I've seen incredible speakers and I've been around amazing gifts and I've, I've, I've seen God draw and there's, there's times where I, I've seen incredible things but, but nothing challenged me quite like this one conversation I had at a conference two years ago and I was chatting with um, a, a friend that I had just met and 
he said something to me. He said he was working the camera at the event. And he said to me, I said, man, this is awesome, hey? He goes, yeah. And he's a bit sad. I said, yeah, okay. And he said, I'm just challenged, man. These same people come to these same conferences every year. And they come back exactly the same. And he was a young guy. And he said, man, I've been around conferences. I've ran the camera for conferences for a very long time. And I've seen the same people come, get something, next speaker. Same people come, get something. And he said, I don't see them change. I don't see them challenged. I don't see them stretched. And, I, and it hit me because that's what I was there for. And I, I, right then I said, right, I'm going to change. I'm going to take one of the things that he puts before me, this speaker, and I'm going to use that to stretch me and to change my life. We have heard hundreds of thousands of sermons. What is it that's in that that allows you to change and allow that guy's gift to change you and to grow you up? Every time I speak from this barrel, regardless of what gift you think I carry, I should be depositing something in you that allows you to grow up. My gift should encourage you to growth. The same as if Jeremy or Sean or Tim were to preach from this barrel, they bring about a gift that encourages to grow up. That's where we have to be as a church. That's what, what, what Paul is writing to the Ephesians to say, I want to show you how to live as a Christian, but you've got to grow up. You've got to step into this. I'll give you all that you need, but you've got to step up and say, enough's enough. I'm not going around that mountain again. Enough's enough. I'm not going to have this stagnant pond that I keep drinking from. God, I'm going to grow up in you. Help me grow up. Show me your word. Let me pray. Does that make sense? I, I spoke briefly last week about the fact that Jesus said that the elect will be deceived. We are coming into a time and a season and an era where God is, is, is going to pull a remnant, pull a people into the things that he has for us. And I believe that's already happening. There are already remnants of people starting to operate. But the challenge is, is that the deceit is going to get more deceitfully. The challenge is going to get more challenging, more um, more top Christian leaders are going to are going to start falling. More guys that we thought were solid upon solid will, will will be given in, will be deceived. There will be all kinds of weird and wonderful doctrine that will come across, and things that we can now do as Christians, or things that should start doing. That when metaphorically the church as Lot camp their tent near Sodom, there is going to be weird things that starts coming into the church. And the only way you're going to be able to deceive what is... Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, discern. That's the word I went for. I think I'm out of words. I've used all my words for today. The only way we're going to be able to discern what is really happening, what's God and what's deception, is the way that we grow up in Him. The way we know Him. The way we hear His voice. The way we say, God, is this you? Because sometimes people can be very convincing. Sometimes people can explain a theology or a doctrine very convincingly. And you walk away and you go, I don't know what to think. We need to grow up in Him. Hear His voice. Allow Him to lead us. Allow Him to guide us. Why don't you stand and we'll pray.
Father, we can come before you right now with our hands open, Jesus, our hearts receptive. God, I don't want to be a child anymore. Lord, I don't want your church to be dwarfed anymore. God, we open ourselves now to grow up in you. We open ourselves now to hear your voice. We open ourselves, Lord, to want to seek you and eagerly chase you. God, when the, when the deceiver comes, or if the deceiver is already speaking in our lives, once you give us the discernment to hear your voice, once you give us the discernment to hear your kingdom, to operate from that place, to step in to who you are. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, we want to serve you and honor you, glorify you, God. Just pray right now for every one of us that's here this morning. May you grant us the strength to see you more, the courage to know you more, the wisdom to understand you more. Jesus, we love you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We honor you. We glorify your name. We love you, Jesus. May you set in us a fire of pursuit toward you. We love you. We honor you and in your beautiful name we pray, Lord. Amen.